Welcome to Keep It 100 Podcast with Sean and Krista Smith. Join us in this space where we take on real issues with real insight and a real inspiration. This podcast is for those not looking for temporary relief to change circumstance, but revelation to forever change lives. Hey everyone, welcome to another episode of Keep It 100 with Sean and Krista Smith. What's good, y'all? This is Sean. Yeah, we are just always looking forward to our time with Keep It 100 Tribe. And I don't know about y'all, but Christmas went fast, but it was good. It was a blessing. Right? We were with family and friends, and I hope all of our Keep It 100 Tribe, I hope you had time with family and friends. You just got to rest a bit and just really have time just to be grateful to Jesus, of course. Really, yes. that's the whole focus and purpose of, of that time. And uh, we just had a really wonderful time. We had a bunch of family at our house. And and it was just, it was really celebratory. We did. We ate food. We too, ate too food. Much. We ate food. <laughs> too, too much. Too much food. Played some games. We played Quiplash. Oh my uh, gosh. Of course, on the parental control, just so <laughs> the, they ask you good questions. We laughed. We did. We laid hands and prayed, believed, just, yeah. Uh, it, it was it was just amazing time, as it always is. Many of you, if you listen early on, we got a new puppy. And so we were yeah. kind of first Christmas we have with this puppy remnant. We're super excited. We got a puppy remnant, just so we say there's a remnant in California. <laughs> <laughs> and he is perfection. I am all about, and Sean is all about our pup. Love him so much. And you know, here we are in a new year, coming off Christmas 2024, and we're, we're here, we're in. And it's just like this year went so fast. So as we jump into 2024, uh, we're being so intentional. And that's why we plan momentum in January, our conference, because we really want to start the year off right. We really feel like 2024 is going to be a year of gates. Gates being an opportunity to step into places you've never been before. Yeah. Uh, gates represent access. Uh, gates represent a certain degree of exclusivity. Uh, in the Bible, the gates were where leadership met. And I just really feel like this is going to be an opportunity for us to possess gates. And so January 18th through 20th, many of you that have been listening, keep it 100, know, and some of you may not. We're having our conference, Momentum 2024, which we say is not really a conference. It's a gathering. We're super excited. We're going to have phenomenal speakers, including uh, our guests that we're going to be interviewing today. But in addition to this guy, which we'll introduce in a moment, we're going to have some credible people like Ben and Jody Hughes, yeah, husband amazing. and wife, revivalist Ooh. healing. They're from Australia. They've, they've seen revival. They are amazing equippers and move in signs and wonders. Uh, in addition uh, to that, we're super excited that we're also going to have Sherman Dumas. He's also yeah. new uh, to, will be new to many of you, but he and his wife, Jaquette, they are powerful. They pastored movements in multiple states. Uh, they are amazing. And then our worship is going to be uh, amazing. Chris Aduste, we love him. He is our momentum worship leader and our momentum worship team is going to be, um, you know, at our Momentum Conference, of course, and they are powerhouses. They have led our master classes. They were a part of Momentum, of course, last year, and they bring the glory. Chris is honestly one of my favorite worship leaders. We get the privilege of seeing him. And then we have Matt Gilman, who's just incredible, just really brings the glory of the Lord. And we had such a powerful time with him last year. And we had a real corporate encounter that took place during some of, one of his worship sessions that really was life-changing. It was incredible. We're so excited for what Chris and for what Matt and the team are going to bring. Yes, the, it's going to be amazing. So right now you want to go to Sean and Krista Smith, uh, dot com. You want to register. Uh, it's coming up real quick in, yeah. in a couple of half weeks. Uh, it's going to be profound. You want to get in the building. It's going to be sunny, beautiful Northern California uh, in the San Francisco, Oakland Bay area. Yeah. We've got room for you. You want to come be a part of it. We're going to be super excited about that. We are, we're also working on the streaming, but we want to suggest that you get in the room. That's right. But those of you that can't, you're in other places. Uh, if you're check our website real soon. We're going to have the streaming option up. Yeah. And this is pretty exciting because we feel like there is this event, this gathering, this flashpoint is going to be literally so chock full of the glory and pregnant significance that we even have a great friend that had a prophetic dream. Why don't you explain that, Chris? Yeah. One of our dear friends, Tiffany Lee, we really love her prophetic gift, love her ability to hear God's voice. She is a dreamer and she had a dream concerning momentum and she shared it with us. We felt it was really profound and powerful. And we actually asked her to record it so we could share it. So keep it one other tribe, listen up, listen to this profound dream from Tiffany Lane. On November 29th, I had a dream about the upcoming Momentum Gathering. In the dream, I saw tongues 
tongues of fire passing by homes and entering bedrooms as people slept. I saw the fire form into a crown of fire over people's heads. It rested over them as they slept. Their spirits were being called to attention. I saw these people waking in their beds. It was as if their spirit was calling their mind to attention. As I watched this take place, I heard, there are some people who have no plans to attend the moment of gathering, but they will attend. People's spirits are going to be called into purpose, and the dream God has for their lives is going to be awakened at this gathering. There is a marking that's going to take place. They need to be in the room. In the dream, I started praying for people to wake up and get up in Jesus' name. Then I saw people rising out of their beds and entering the conference. And when they got into the room, I saw scrolls being laid out in front of them. The scrolls were different for each individual. The scrolls represented God assigned. People were being given direction for their lives at this gathering that will mark them. I could physically see the confusion of identity and purpose being broken off of people. After this, I woke up. Wow, that dream right? was amazing. This, so good. This is just, I, I just believe it's the heart of God in yeah. terms of him declaring his intent on what he wants to do. And I just feel like there are a lot of people out there that have come off the holidays feeling maybe a bit overwhelmed, busy, yeah. uh, maybe a little stale in their walk, maybe a little lethargic, maybe even some feel spiritually numb. This is going to be the place. And then there are others, you're just simply hungry. You want the more. I feel like this event, this flashpoint will be the place for you. And 2024, I think is just going to be such a significant year. I know there's so many people that want us to believe that inflation will get worse, wars will be worse, worse, and all these kind of things. And first of all, we know this, that revivals have always run concurrent to crisis. There's always been mm. a crisis, but then there's a revival where God visits his people. And so I really believe this is going to be a visitation. And so we want you to get out and be a part of it. You know, it's so true. And, you know, Tiffany said something of many things that she said that were incredible. I just want to simply highlight this. You know, she was saying, you know, it was, uh, people, some people weren't planning on coming, but then they were called by God and they showed up. And I just want to tell you, if you're one of those people that are like, I don't have the time, I don't have the availability. Um, you know, usually I'm not into conferences. Well, good. Well, this is going to be great news for you. This is not a conference. This is an encounter. And I want to encourage you, you cannot make a more priceless investment than your walk with Jesus. And we don't say that with manipulation. We say that with expectation, expectation that God isn't going to encounter us. God is in the room. What he did last year was profoundly marking in our lives. And we know there's more that's available this year. So we want to encourage you now, January 18th to the 20th, mark your calendars, get your seat, get in the room, make a way to the Bay Area. If you live in the Bay Area, get in the room, take the time off work because God is going to meet you and really prioritize that with your schedule. Momentum 2024, where we've never been. That's right. Speaking of that, we've got a great friend of yes. ours who will also be a speaker. He is the only returning uh, speaker. And so we're super excited to have our great friend, Tommy Arayam. Oh, we love Tommy. I mean, he is he is truly an internationally recognized both prophet and apostle, authored multiple books. He is an apostle that is leading the Rig Nation all around the world. Uh, he's a trusted prophetic voice. He's a prophet, as I said. And we really love him because he's not only an incredible man of God, he's an incredible friend. Um, he is truly, uh, what you see on the platform is who he is. He's probably one of the most generous bulls Sean and I have ever encountered. And he loves God extravagantly, but he also loves his friends and family. And he loves the bride of Christ extravagantly. Uh, we trust him. We love his voice. And so Keep It 100 Tribe, get ready for this powerful interview with Tommy. Keep It 100 Tribe, we've got the apostle in the room. My little brother, I say my little brother only because of uh, chronologically I'm older than him, but this guy carries a big shadow, man. And so we're so glad to have you on. Tommy Arimi, what's going on, man? Hey, big bro. I'm doing well. How are you? Hey, I'm doing all right. Hey, how about you, Tamar and the kids, man? How are you guys doing? I'm doing good. I just got back from Hungary, so I'm seeing everyone kind of for the first time right now. Um, oh, but man. I'm doing really, really well. Everyone's doing great. Bro, that's good, man. We're so honored that you would jump on the podcast coming back from Hungary. And uh, man, we are hungry for the revelation that you walk in. Hey, I just want to jump in it right here. And and one of the things that I've noticed, and, and we just kind of were talking about it before we jumped on, is that this is such a time of transition. It's transition in the body of Christ. It's transition in terms of individual uh, nations, uh, you know, in terms of economies, in terms of world powers, in terms of influence of people, transitions. Obviously, we're going to be coming up into crazy election times here in the United States, transition wars, all this kind of stuff. We can talk about a little bit of that on a larger scale later, but I just want to ask you, bro, you have transitioned, it's been a minute, but you have transitioned into Houston, uh, Texas, in the United States of America, into a home, moving your family. You've had ministry out here, but now you're based. Tell us about that. What is transition meant for Tommy Arimi and your family, bro? Well, transition has been, for us, it's been a major 
amazingly abrupt, actually, because there's seasons of forced change. And we were definitely in a season of forced change that moved us into the US. It wasn't unwilling forced change, but it was certainly forced change. And uh, we had the privilege of serving the Lord in Nigeria in Africa for one whole year. We were intending on being there a lot longer, um, but the Lord had his plan. And ultimately, we ended up relocating to Houston. And that transition transpired after a series of quite dramatic events, uh, one of which being um, subsequently arrested in Nigeria for a prophecy that we had given that the government, uh, the federal government, didn't like. And so that forced our season of change here to Houston. But within the first weekend of being in Houston, we planted the Rig Global Church. Officially, it was it was kind of unofficially planted, but now officially planted. And God has blessed us tremendously, averaging around seven, six, seven hundred members. And uh, it's been about about eight, eight months or a year now coming on. So Man, he has been. I've been watching, you know, online and catching some of the, you know, your some of your service and some of the, the, uh, the you know, the broadcasts and some of the clips, man, it looks like it is wild there at, at Rig Houston, man. What has God been doing in the in the services? What have you been seeing, man? Well, so much. We've seen um, blind eyes open. We've seen miracles. We've done maybe six, seven conferences. I've lost count across the year. Um, I know you, you and Chris are at one of them, uh, but we've just seen God transform an entire region and just witnessing how many people from all over America, I mean, talk about transition. I can't tell you how many families have transitioned from all over the United States to relocate to Houston because of the church. And so God is just doing amazing things, gathering an army together. And um, it, it, it's just, we, we literally felt like spoiled potatoes just watching God. Is. I love that, man. You know, Chris and I, we were talking about you and, you know, we've just seen just the amazing favor, just your voice, you know, just the things that you're putting your hands to, how people have been drawn. One of the things we just kind of talked about, and I love this, is that we said, hey, you know what? Tommy draws lines. We're in such a day where people are either erasing the line, progressive Christianity, you know, dancing around truths, not really letting the word be the word, not letting the sword cut. Uh, the sword is a salve, or I should say the Bible is a salve, but the Bible is a sword. And some people are using the salve when we need to have both the sword and the salve. And you draw lines. And I, I love that. And I feel like people, people want that, man. We want people that are going to draw lines, man. And uh, the nebulous, you know, you, you and your little kid and you take the eraser and you kind of had, you had a clear line, but you erase it. It's all, that's how a lot of people's message right now. And I, I've kind of feel like if you're out there and you're in a pulpit or you have a voice, now is not the time. Jesus didn't get up out of the tomb for us to be inconspicuous, right? I mean, right. Your, your faith is marked by something like that, man. Hey, let me ask you a series of questions that I think our listeners are going to love. Tell me, what do you feel is the most crucial asset or attribute that we need to have in this hour, either as individuals or as the church? Um, I believe it's many things. And coming back from Hungary, the Holy Spirit, I spent almost three quarters of my flight just praying and pressing into the Lord for what he was saying for 2024. And um, there's, there's so many things you can put your finger on. But right now, if I could speak and jump ahead of the gun to what you're doing with momentum, which I think is so crucial, is, you know, time is measured in hours, but momentum is measured in moments. And what often happens is we're waiting to reach the divine place instead of catch the moments that help us reach the divine place. You know, every single season of our life is measured spiritually in the moments that happen to us. We can talk about Joseph's four moments. You know, I believe every believer should have at least four transitions. If you have more than four, you're probably having maybe two many. But you see, <laughs> most believers had four major transitions, a few micro transitions in that, but four major ones. And each moment was significant to momentum. And so the most significant word of the hour that the Lord's been releasing to me is the word demand. You've got to become key at measuring the moments of demand that, that meet us in every day, because those are moments that lead to momentum. And what I mean by that is when God gives us a dream, we start off when everybody asks us, uh, what happened? You said, I ha had a dream. And he said, what was your dream? And then they always say, in my dream. And we make the mistake of thinking it's our dream, not realizing that God's inviting us his dream. And that's why the Bible says they'll dream dreams and see vision. The dream we're dreaming is God's dream in our small brain. And so we, we're the ones calling it my when God
God's like, hey, this is my dream. I'm just giving you an impartation and or an invitation into my end picture, my end design. The Bible says the vision speaks of the end. Every time you read scripture, vision speaks of the end, right? The vision make plain speaks of the end. Thoughts and plans I have towards you give you an expected end. But your beginning be small, your end will greatly increase. So God gives you spoiler alerts in the forms of dreams and vision. He reveals the end from the beginning. That's his blueprint. Now, as people, we become so obsessed about the end that all we're focused on is the dream. And if you're so dream-centered, you actually miss demands in the focus of the dream. And so when God was trying to deliver Joseph from a certain level of narcissism, God had to take him through several places of demand. You know, meet this person, man. Now let me put you in a prison. This man. Now let me. And if you're not careful, you treat demands like, uh, what you call it, detours. Uh, God, why are we here? What's, what's going on? The, the dream is over there. Take me to uh, Pharaoh's house. And no matter how much Joseph tried, he couldn't manipulate every moment of his life. He couldn't manipulate them to change. He handed out business cards, said, remember me? Remember what I did for you? And no matter what he did, he couldn't manipulate his seeds to change. And so in, in momentum, what helps us get momentum is the moments. Each moment is like a is like a pushing block. When you're swimming, you think about the pushing block. It's like a pushing block to the next moment that's going to take you to the moment that matters. And so here's David. He's, he's calculating. He's doing all of these voluntary things. He's prophesied he's going to be king, but he's slaying bears. He's slaying lions. Nobody's paying him for any of it, not earning an income. And if he's not careful, he can treat a demand like a detour. And you're like, God, why am I, why am I slaying this? What's this got to do with what you showed me? The day it mattered was the day he met Goliath. And he never heard God say, slay this giant. He had become so demand focused by this time that he said, the God who delivered me from the bear, delivered me from the lion, will also deliver me from some exercise. But he said, what would happen to the man who does this? And in that, he found the positioning, at least, because Prince is positioning for kingship. And so in moments, God releases momentum. In that momentum, we find ourselves, if we stay in that place of being demand-focused, we find ourselves catapulting into our dream, whether we like it or not, because we're actually seeing demands and not detours anymore. Man, Tony, bro, that is so profound. You know, you're talking about demands, and I think you're right. I think many times we run from our the demands in our lives. We we kind of feel like they're interruptions. We feel like, oh, I'm not ready for this. Man, I'm, I'm not going to be able to rise to the moment, so to speak. And I think, you know, the, the Holy Spirit is not just a New Testament person. I mean, he's eternal. And so we think of the Holy Spirit coming on you, you speak in tongues, the Holy Spirit coming upon you and, you know, you prophesy, the Holy Spirit comes upon you, feel goosebumps, you fall out. But, you know, if you really want to do one of those, uh, the law of the first mention. I mean, there are many instances, obviously you can go back to Genesis, but Samuel said to King Saul of Kish, he says, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and you will do as the occasion demands. Man, and I think right. sometimes we we forget that those moments come to make a demand, but the Holy Spirit was put upon us for those very moments. Yeah. And man, I think yeah. that's just so, so profound because at the same time, I can see the device of the enemy is trying to get us overwhelmed. So when our moments come, we don't feel like we can rise to the occasion. We're like the souffle and the oven door slammed too hard. It caves in never to rise again. But God isn't making us souffles, but soldiers, man. And so I love that thing. Oh my goodness, man. So in that, being able to do as the occasion demands, be able to rise to our demands, recognizing the transitions and all that kind of stuff. uh, What would you say, you know, to your rank and file, as a rank and file believer out there and you're going, okay, apostle told me I'm going to see these moments they're going to make demands. What, how do I need to posture myself so I could be in position that I could be obedient and successful in those moments when the demands come? Well, first of all, I'd say, and this may sound cliche, get to momentum confidence. That's my first thing I would say. Because on, bro. You, we don't realize that we are stuck because of an information death. There's something we don't know. And, and then there's something we're not willing to pay the price of access. I remember years ago when people used to say to me, if only if only a pastor could move to the U.S. If he moves to the U.S., I'd come to every meeting. Then I moved to Houston. Well, if only he could come to New York. I would I would really want to come if he come to New York. And you don't realize that actually everything you need from God is over there. And over there is not where you are. God said, get out of your father's house and go over there. God says to Elijah, hey, go over there. Uh, ravens are going to feed you over there. Now, had Elijah stayed where he was, I promise you God in his faithfulness would have kept the ravens feeding bread. And Bob would have walked under there and wondered how he stumbled into divine favor also. So information and blessing is always 
geographics. It's never at your convenience. It's always something God will test you to see if you're willing to get the next upgrade to appear before him in a specific place. He says, meet me at Shiloh, meet me at Peniel, meet me at Bethel, meet me at... So there are always these key meeting place points. And um, I think sometimes people are disappointed because they miss appointments. And you, if you miss the appointment, you'll always be disappointed because you won't recognize the appointment when it comes because appointments come with information. They come with times. They come with dates. They come with sequence. Next thing I'll say is, you know, a lot of people are so afraid of being distracted that their thought about being distracted is the biggest distraction in their life. You know, they're so just good, always, always overthinking the will of God. You know, I just want to be in God's perfect will. I just want to make sure, you know, am I in his will? And they spend 20 years of their life analyzing whether they're in God's will. They never actually make it. And so one of the things that, you know, what you just said about King Saul, do as the occasion demands. Some translations say, do whatever the occasion. So some say, what should I do? I would say, do whatever. As long as you're anointed, the worst thing you can do is nothing. Like you got to do, there's something called the whatever anointing. You know, it's the anointing that comes upon whatever you do to make it prosper. Because you actually need one level of prosperity to bless you in another season of prosperity. And if you miss a season to jump over into another season, you'll miss what a specific season was taught there to teach you. For instance, you know, there's a certain degree to which you can edit videos because you went through a season where you didn't have money to pay for an edit or resources. So you started learning those things by yourself or the Holy Spirit taught you supernatural. There's a level to which the Holy Spirit told you, get this camera, get this sound, get this going on, get that going on. And so now when you hire somebody, it's more about freeing up your time than freeing up your skill sets because you have those skills. So the day they say, I can't come to work today, you are not left out of hand because you developed the muscles in a season that you thought was a diversion and all God called it was a moment to get information necessary for your next season. And so every season is important. There's no such thing as a wasted season in God as long as the anointing is there because you're going to need something vital. Joseph needed the prison because of the seven years of lack. He needed Potiphar's house because of the seven years of abundance. So when it came time for what to do, he had learned how to be resourceful in the prison. He had learned how to live lavishly in Potiphar's house. So those two polarizing experiences taught him exactly what he needed to tell Pharaoh to do in that place. That had he skipped over the prison season, he would not have known what to do in the years of lack. Man, you know, that is just so, so profound. I was hearing this one uh, rookie was on the, on the Golden State Warriors and he said his favorite player is Steph Curry. Now he's playing with Steph Curry as this rookie out here on Golden State. And he was saying, you know, he says, I expect Steph to make every single shot. And he says, because when I'm, when I'm doing the interview right now, this guy's in the gym practicing. And I just think that so many people, because I, I look at you, Tommy, and the confidence and the authority you walk in that you're meeting the demands and you, 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 you literally can do the work. You got the oxen anointing, bro. I mean, you're, you're doing the work of like four or five different people and you're doing it all well. But I think part of it is that you, you nailed it. You, you on the come up, you, you had to acquire that skill set. You had to acquire that information. You were practicing, you were harnessing your gifts when it wasn't a, you know, a platform of tens of thousands of people and, and, you know, crazy number of hundreds of thousands of followers on YouTube. You were doing, you were putting in work as the kids love to say today. And I think that's just so important because I think we, we recognize, I recognize, you recognize, we operate from the finish victory of the cross. But our problem is we want victory without getting in the fight, right? And that's, that, that is the divine paradox. We do fight from victory, but the key is we, we have to fight. You have to put in work. Right. You have to, to be disciplined and do those things. Hey man, I got a YouTube channel later on. I want you to tell us your YouTube channel, but uh, it, how important right now is the media mountain and controlling the narrative? How important is it for the church to begin to make sure her voice, obviously there are things, the Bible is very clear that nature is voice activated. It's waiting upon the arising of the sons and daughters of the most high God. There's a groaning and, and the everything we see around us is based on Jesus speaking. How important is it for us to capture and rise in the mountain of media and to control the narrative right now? I think it's, it's absolutely one of the most crucial things that the body of Christ can do right now. A lot of us are actually waiting for God to platform us. A lot of people in the body call me and say, oh, that's okay for you, Apostle Tom. You have a platform. And I always say this. First of all, revelation is a platform. It's not, it's not, you know, Facebook, it's not 
Twitter. It's not Instagram. The fact that God is speaking and putting his big words in your mouth, that's platform. You know, that's that's entrustment. That's something huge. We're talking about men like John the Baptist <coughs> who didn't set up his ministry in a city center somewhere in a, in a big major town. He went to a desert and all he had was a voice, a revelation. And that revelation galvanized a large groundswell of people towards that. So when you have the word of the Lord or the sound of distinction, that's the platform in itself. But the second thing is this, God actually gives us the stewardship over several things in the Bible. I always tell this to like my sons and daughters in the ministry. I say, you know, if your heart was broken, that's on you because God doesn't guard your heart. He gives that responsibility to you. He says, you guard your heart. I'll, I'll guard your spirit. I'll guard your salvation. I'll even guard your finance. But your heart is your responsibility to do it. Don't go around giving it to everybody and then crying about how it got broken. And so so that the, the second thing God tells us to, to take stewardship over is our light. He says, you know, I'm responsible for the light. You're responsible for how it's platformed. So he says, let your light so shine in such a way that men see it. So he's actually telling us to be deliberate. And somebody said, well, what's the difference between that and showing off? Well, he said, show light. He didn't say show off. He didn't say go out and show off. He said, let the light that's in you, which comes from God, so shine. So that means you're responsible for the platforming of the light that's on the inside. Now, you know, if there's something wrong with it and it didn't get out to as many people as you wanted it to, then you might need to question sometimes whether or not it's light or whether you think it's light and it's darkness because light shines. (laughs) That's the light. The the manifestation of light is it can't be hidden. That's the great news about it. So you're really not having to do much work. But on some level, the work you have to do is not resist the the urge to mistake hiding from as humility. So he says, don't put your light under a bushel. That's hiding. That's not humility. He says, you've got to platform the light in a way that people can actually see it. It needs to have some level of visibility. As God told Habakkuk, write the vision, make plain, or sometimes we say publish the vision. So media and publication are important to the extent of getting your message out. Another reason it's important because the one who has the narrative has the nation. Somebody asked me, who's winning in America right now? I said, whoever has the right narrative. Who's going to win in America's election? Whoever has the loudest narrative. The narrative is what matters. Children of Israel wandered 40 years in the desert, not because God wanted them to, but because of the narrative. A couple of people came, spread a report, put out a piece for us that said, giants are here, they're bigger than us, they're bad than us, everything's terrible, fruit's great, but but the problem is there's giant, there's big giant tech, giant media, giant pharma. Everything's bigger than us. We're never going to win. Oh, oh, we small church. We're just going to be poor and broken. And God's like, you're defeated the moment you opened your mouth. And because of it, you're going to wander 40 years because of bad media. Were there giants there? Yes. Were they bigger than them? Yes. God actually said, I'm going to give you people bigger and mightier. So there was, they were telling facts, but they weren't telling truth. And, and, and so media should be for the Christian, the place to to speak truth, not fact. Look at America over the past few years. We've almost gone 40 years back because, not because America is a bad country. Is it good? Is it bad? Who knows? Who owns the narrative? It's because those who own the narrative are telling us over and over again, every single day, America is a bad country. And the moment you release those words out of your mouth, God is obligated to set nations back because of narrative. And so I'm not saying these things are not fact. I'm not saying racism isn't a fact. I'm not saying LGBT isn't a fact. I'm not saying there aren't big giants, big tech, big pharma. Those things aren't disputed by God. You see, lies is anything God didn't say. Exodus chapter 20, excuse me, says this, says, you shall not spread, I think it's Exodus 20 or Exodus 21, one of those two, you shall not spread a fake report. That 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 means the word fake news did not come as a byproduct of Donald Trump. It was there in the Bible because so God good. knew fake news was spiritual. So he said, don't spread fake news. And today we, we spread fake Fake news like like COVID. I mean, it's just going everywhere. And so we have to become better stewards of truth. We have to be better stewards of what God said, not what's on ground, but what did God say? Because whoever owns the narrative owns the nation. Man, man, I I, I felt like I heard this thing, Tommy. And when you said revelation is the platform, I'm still buzzing over that. I, I'm that is, bro. That's a masterclass. <laughs> that is ridiculous, little bro. I was thinking about right. Now, I feel like we have the Micaiah mandate. You know, obviously, when King Ahab was about to go out to war, he had like, I think, 400 uh, prophets that were basically an echo chamber. And they were just telling the king what he wanted to hear. Oh, king, go out and fight. You're you're the man, dude. You can't lose. You're going to defeat him. And then, you know, I think Jehoshaphat was part of that uh, configuration. He, he shouldn't have been doing anything with Ahab. But he said, is there, is there not a real prophet? And they pulled 
I don't, if you read the passage, he's being advised what the, 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 at that point, what is the popular narrative? Like, hey, the king has been told that if he goes out and fights his wicked king Ahab, everybody knows it. Uh, and essentially you need to say the same thing. And they're pulling Micaiah out of prison. And so he's kind of sarcastic at first. And then the, the king recognizes sarcasm. He's telling the truth. He said, hey, you're going to go out there. You're going to die. And yeah. then he says, well, man, you know what? I'm going to, I'm going to come back. I'm going to get you. And he said, wait, 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 if you come back, right. I'm a false prophet. Like essentially, yeah. yeah, I should die. And in that moment, his voice cut through the echo chamber. And I think sometimes we think that there's so many people that are are repeating, you know, I, I always say, uh, you know, to some spiritual sons and daughters is that so much of what we call thinking is nothing more than recycling someone else's opinion. And yeah. we call that yeah. like serious thinking. No, no, no. You heard that. No, no, no. You Googled that. You chat GPT that. You heard your favorite <laughs> tweet and you're going to put that out and, and call that like sophisticated thinking. Here he's being told what to say, but he cuts through the narrative. So I love what you're saying that you don't have to be in the majority to carry the narrative because truth, obviously a play on words, will trump facts. Obviously no reference yeah. to Donald Trump, but truth will trump facts every time. God just needs some truth speakers. Yes, absolutely. And I think the conundrum of our generation is the like factor. You know, you're talking about social media where you are liked or you are not liked. And and the unlikes speak louder than the likes. You know, it's the fact that nobody liked it. Like, oh, only 300 people liked it or 500. So so the, the metric for success is set already by default to like. And so everybody wants to feed that algorithm with what is liked over what is right. And so what do we do when we have that generation who, who the platforms have already been preset for them and the defaults of what you want from that generation has already been preset for them? You have to become really clever about and really creative about how you display truth. It's one of the things I love about Jesus. I think, you know, you can either be a Micaiah generation or just a mean generation. I love the Micaiah spirit uh, because he's able to speak the truth. And we have a generation of leaders that do want to drop the line. And I am one of them that wants to drop the line, as you've rightly said. I want to speak the truth. I want to live the truth more than I want to speak it. Um, but I, I want the truth to be the truth. Um, but I love this about the Lord. You know, he was able to, to cut people with such a level of ninja-like finesse that you would not know you were cut until you got home. And it was like you were bleeding out like Pharisees going, is he talking about us when he said that? <laughs> I, you know, I think we have to get more creative today because uh, anything we say is hate speech. And when you hear it objectively, it does sound a bit a bit hateful because we've lost, you know, you just spoke about the word being a sword in a cell. We've lost the skilled users of the sword, those who can wield it with enough finesse that at the end of it, there's a whole truth and not just a lambasting of somebody's lifestyle. Because I, I do believe a generation is going to change. It's going to be transformed by a leadership anointing that can actually cut without that person being known. They've been cut and sort of like, wow, just got cut really well. Mm, man, you know, I'm probably doing a little TMI out there. I just had like a little, it's a little tiny, I think it's called lipoma, uh, removed out of my neck. You know, when I went into Kaiser, the surgeon, you know, she she was describing, hey, I'm, I'm kind of coming close to an artery. I'm kind of coming close to a nerve. But, you know, you you run this risk, but trust me. And I asked her, I said, hey, you've done this before, right? And they go, yeah, yeah, I've done this before. <laughs> and uh, I said, hey, do it. And obviously it was an in and out surgery. It was, they just stuck needles and dead in it. And, and I think of, you know, the same sword that cut off Malchus' ear is the same sword that could have lanced a, a, a stab wound or maybe in modern technology, remove a cancer. And I finally wow. felt like in, in our zealousness, we've cut off the ear of wow. people to hear us. And the problem is if you cut Whoa, off their ear and at the same time, you want them to respond to your voice, you're going to have a wow. problem. And it's funny, Jesus did the thing that I think is the, the ministry that we need to do in the mountain of media and the narrative is he picked up the dude's ear and put his ear back on. And I feel back like our, our strategy has got to be, how do we put the ear back on the nations mm. of the world? How do you, you know, we're in a context right now, let's say the, oh, the yeah. Western world, you know, because so much of the Eastern world, 
to experience a revival. And in the Western world, you're skeptical, you're hardened, you're deconstructed, you've got all these things, progressive Christianity. And But how do we get their ear back on? And here's the other thing. And, and I was talking about this with a group of some prophetic people at a gathering that I knew it was going to hit this group a little bit different. And I said, you know, in the area of, of politics, I said, you, you've so villainized people, but what you have to understand is that you've demonized them when in fact they're captives of a demon that we need to rescue mm. them. Their faces wow. on the milk carton. You're, you're, you're going after the person mm. you're supposed to rescue. And, and I, and I go, why, why would they want to listen to you afterwards of the way you've, you know, you, and so man, what you're saying, I think, oh my God, I could, I could jump up and down and scream that I, I feel like we do need to be ninjas. I feel like that verse that says, uh, you know, that we would have the tongue of the learned that we should know how to speak. It's not just having the ability to speak. It's not even necessarily uh, behind it all at the end of the day, the bottom line, it's it's how you should speak the truth. And and that's obviously you're 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 talking about Issachar anointing. I mean, that's that's really the mainstay of, of you. You're an Issachar prophet. Uh you're you're your people that you're raising up. And and that was the thing that I love, even you know, after we first met, I can't even tell you how many years ago, but you you would come on YouTube, you and Toby and and man, you'd have them YouTube and you would hit these issues that I thought, my goodness, man, you're going to make some folks angry. But then I would listen to it. And again, it doesn't matter whether you make people angry or not. That's not the be all in all. But I just thought, let me listen. But there was such prophetic precision in which you spoke that I think a lot of people today are thinking. And, and again, I, I know I, I, I kind of know what I'm talking about with this. I think a lot of people are in the John the Baptist, you know, prophet style, which, hey, I, I believe the spirit of Elijah on John the Baptist was what made, you know, everything significant, you know, and since you, you could have got the same dude or not same do another dude out there doing the same thing, but without that spirit that would turn rebellious hearts to a, you know, merciful God, turn the hearts of fathers to children. I think people miss that and they just harp on the brood of vipers, all this stuff. And first of all, you're speaking to Pharisees and hardened religious folks, but I think they miss the fact this dude was water baptizing quite a few folks. There had to have been something in his message that just wasn't slicing, dicing, jinsu knife. You know, we want to be a ninja right. knife, but not a jinsu knife, man. Right. So, oh, I love what you're saying, man. Anything more on that, on just the narrative in that media mountain? Yeah, I think uh, going back to the, the, the like machine, I think the other side of that spectrum that I think a lot of those kind of more uh, hardline preachers are going down the line of is they don't want to compromise and become so greasy grace that mm. they lose the potency of the scripture. Um, there's, this, there's this thing that happens when, when the metric becomes being like, you pick up on a soul spirit. Saul was the kind of person that was told that God judged him. And at the end of that, you would think he would fall on his face and cry. But he said, I get it, but don't let the people think that. Like, honor me in front of these people. Just come out with me and let's have a selfie together so everybody thinks we're still doing okay and I'm still serving the Lord. One day the Lord warned me of people who, preachers who have left him and are still holding on pulpits, you know, left the Lord, but still, still holding on to the pulpit, liked by everybody, loved every post they make, every comment they put out is a like, but they've left the Lord. And that kind of is like a soul. You know, you reach that place where being liked is more important than making heaven. And I think, unfortunately, sadly, I've seen a lot of preachers seduced by that machine and they fall prey to the selfie moment, the big picture moment. I get that next to this preacher. I get to be on this flyer. I get to be with the who's who of the kingdom zoo. And like, yes, but are, are you, are you making heaven. You know, you made it to the conference, but we only make it to heaven by living pure, living the truth, living what God said. And so I put out posts all the time and I realized, wow, my like count goes down when I tell the truth. It does. It's like, wow, if I post something fluffy and nice and all Pinteresty, everybody's liking it. But if I post about holiness and purity, nobody's liking it. So I asked my editor, so if you look at all my videos now, I'm like, hey, can we put like the good news at the beginning and then start again with the bad news? So you see this big highlight at the beginning that everybody wants to watch and then it forces them 
to have to watch the whole message. So that's what I mean by I think we can still be wise as serpents with the systems of the world that only celebrate you for, for towing the common orthodox. And that's really where the danger of the seductive spirit of the world with diversity has entered into the church. You know, we, we say, well, we want more women, we want more men, want more this, because we want diversity of thought. And then at the end of it, look at it, and it's not diversity of thought, it's conformity of thought. And everybody's all thinking that. Same with the church, you know, we, we've kind of tried to toe that line with our own religious affinity of diversity, only to end up with conformity. And so what do we do then? We all just have to go back to the Holy Spirit, um, switch off our favorite Christian media programs for a season, and step back into the throne room and hear what God is actually saying. Bro, what you said, again, you dropped these things, <laughs> that if we follow the metric of like, we will end up like Saul. And that's just so crazy because, you know, uh, I, I think here's what it comes down to. And I, I, I appeal, and you're making this appeal to anyone that has a microphone, whether you're in a pulpit or whether you're at Google or whether you're in a classroom or wherever, your office place, your, your Starbucks, because you really have a choice of being a catalyst or a chameleon. And I remember in right. high school, I think we studied this thing about a catalyst is that uh, it is this element that actually forces everything else to change around it without itself undergoing a change based on the environment or surrounding surroundings you place in him, which is the exact opposite of a chameleon, a type of lizard that takes on the hue, the color, uh, even sometimes the temperature of the atmosphere is placed it in. Wow. And you're right. I think what, what the goal of being popular sometimes, whether it's from your pulpit or on your social media accounts, is it's turned what should have been a catalyst into a chameleon. And you can wow. get a lot of likes, but you can get so many likes, you don't realize you've left the light trying to be light. Mm, wow. And man, oh my goodness, bro, <laughs> little bro. Hey man, for the respect of your time, because there's so many things we can hit. What do you feel in terms of what is God seeing prophetically in 2024? I know for you, that's going to be a huge long later down the road, probably series of messages, a theme of conferences, uh, everything. But in a nutshell, what is something that you felt like maybe on that flight back you were pressing in? What do you feel like God is saying to us, the body of Christ for 2024? Um, well, I can tell you a part of the prophecy that the Lord gave me. Um, the custodianship of nations really being transferred to church in Ooh. 2024 because agendas are being set. And we're coming into that Psalm 2 time that the nations are conspiring against the Lord. And if we're not careful, we will fall into the temptation of think God's eyes are on the elections again, not on the elect. And the, the weight has shifted. And now what that means for the elect is we have to upgrade ourselves to a level to which we have capacity to relegate figure states as traditional. And what I mean by that is Joseph had so worked out his governance strategy that by the time he was done, Pharaoh was a traditional figurehead of state. He was a tourist attraction and a, a, a face on a coin by the time Joseph had finished. Same thing with Nehemiah. When Cyrus asked Nehemiah, what do you want? Blank check Roman, put anything you want there. Nehemiah didn't, I'm an R. I think today's generation, if a, if a philanthropist or, or, a, or a benefactor or a ruler was to come to us and say, what do you need? We wouldn't have an answer. Nehemiah had a prepared, pre-planned, I thought you'd never ask, here's one I made earlier kind of answer to the question. And so I think the church needs to prepare its answer. I think it needs to prepare its solution for nations. I think we need to stop asking ourselves, uh, what, how do I govern my church? And start asking, how do we govern the nation? How, if we were the leaders, if we were the MPs, if we were the ones fixing our streets, what would they look like? Because we're switching from the realm of the anointing to the realm of the glory. And we're not leaving the anointing to enter the glory. We're switching into an understanding of the glory. I feel the anointing. I don't feel the glory. Moses didn't know that his face was shining. That means when you're in a glory season, you don't know you switched. The only way to know you switch into a glory season, the Lord showed me, was when Isaiah 61 says, Spirit of the Lord is upon me, Lord's anointing me, meek, poor, afflicted, broken, hearted, depressed, down and out, heavy, suicidal, captives, imprisoned. All of those people are victims. Every single one of the people in Isaiah 61, not one of them is a champion. All of them do. Go to Isaiah 60, the chapter 4, rise and shine, the lights come, glory of the Lord, responding kings, princes, nobles, rulers, all of these people are victims. So in the glory, God starts to change your audience from problems to solutions. And when he shifts your audience to those kind of people, you have to learn like Nehemiah to prepare your art. You have to learn like Joseph to prepare your seven-year strategy. I believe that we're now in that time because I do believe a famine has come. 
something. I do believe something is coming in the next few years. And I've, I've held true to that word the Lord gave me uh, about the seven years, nine years, eight years, seven years. I do believe something coming. But if God tells Joseph something is coming, Joseph decides to build a strategy around that, not to just sit and wait for it to happen to him. God gives us a heads up so that we can rule better. And so I think we're waiting to do all our ruling and reigning in heaven. God's like, why wait to heaven when you do all of it down here? Oh, my goodness. I love that because I'm always one of these guys, maybe to a fault, I don't know. <clears throat> but I, I felt like I've been in circles where it's been, and I, I talked about this recently at a prophetic gathering, that when King Joash was in the room with Elijah, he was afraid. He says, oh, my father, my father, the chariots of Israel and the horsemen, he's so concerned about the war outside from the Syrians and the Arameans that he didn't know who he was in the room with. This dude, a little bit later down the road, would die. His bones would bring revival. But in the room, there in that passage, it says that the prophet put his hands on him. And so my whole thing, and this is what I love what you're saying about now getting strategies, being ready to be a voice in the midst of it. It's like, hey, tough times are coming, but we're we're meant to be the head and not the tail in the midst of that. We should have something that we should be ready, that we could be that voice. We could be Joseph in the midst of the famine. And I love that because what I end up saying is Joash, King Joash was in this room with Elisha in his war out there. I said he was so concerned, if you will, about World War III out there that he didn't know he was in the room with the third great awakening right now. Wow. And I, I felt like it's all it's all a shift of where you're going to put your focus. Tell me, so I love that man of just, because the thing is, is that I, I want an eschatology. I want a belief system. Uh, and I feel like it's God that is going to get me into the Great Commission every single day when I wake up. It causes me to feel like it's not the day to run and hide. You know, my mentor would make this phrase and I love it. He said, uh, end times aren't happening to believers. Believers are happening to the end times. Come and on. that's what I hear you saying, man. Hey, I want to be respectful of your time. You've already told people why they should come to uh, Momentum 2024, January 18th through the 20th. And we're going to have Tommy here. He's going to he's gonna be the only one that's going to speak two sessions. But let me ask you this. How can people listening right now get in contact with you? What schools, what conferences, books, socials, anything, man? Because I know there are people that have heard what you're sharing, bro. And as the, the Rock used to say, I, I, I can smell what you're cooking. And man, they love it. It's a savory scent. How can we follow you, bro? Well, they can catch me on all my social medias, um, which is my name, and then tellmeramy.com, which is my personal website that we route to every other website. But, you know, I just want to say, why should people come to Momentum? I think that uh, every January we make our New Year's resolution and we, we always talk about, well, this year I'm doing this year, this year. I'm... I've discovered every time my life has changed, it's not because of a New Year's resolution, it's because of a New Year's revelation. And I think if you're going to start your January right, you don't need a resolution, you need a revelation. And Momentum is be that place where a ton of amazing speakers are going to be sharing revelation and strategy, which the Lord told me strategy is going to be more important than products and ministry and service. If you get the right strategy, you're going to succeed at an N24. And so my whole word has been strategy, 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 um, because one of the words for apostle, there's three words for apostle in the Bible, bishop or episcopate. There's apostolo, which is apostle. There's one very, very people, few people know about it. It's called the stratiori. It's uh, where apostle Paul said the weapons of our warfare. That word stratiori means apostolic mission. It's where we get the word strategy from, which is where we get the word general from. So generals are there to give us strategy. I was watching the, um, on the plane back, I was watching the World War II in color on Netflix because I'm a big history buff. I love history. So I was checking it out. And you know, every war that was won by Hitler was won the right general. Every war that was lost was lost because of the wrong strategy and putting the wrong general in the wrong place. And so you actually realize the apostolic is going to be so crucial to the next few years we're coming into. So crucial that the level of divine intelligence that God is going to have to put on the apostolic mission to make it something that people actually have verbs in their sentences and know exactly what to do. Like for instance, I, I don't I don't want to spend too long on this, but I'm, I'm working with a guy in our Goshen school that is basically teaching everybody how to turn their back garden into a into a farm it's called Goshen Garden, And he's doing this thing that I call ground hacking. I call it ground hacking because he's managed to, you know, I didn't know it takes takes days or months for, for vegetables to grow, but years for fruit to grow. I mean, you're talking like 10, 20 years for one fruit. I didn't know that. I was mind blown. 
by that fact. And he said, but you can actually you can actually get a mature root and you can hack it by cutting it in half and engrafting a baby onto the onto the mature root and it tricks it to think that it's mature and it starts producing fruit in a year to three years. So I was like, isn't that just the story of us in Christ, the engrafted root, how we're engrafted on the branch? Number one. And number two, I was like, wow. I said to the intro, I said, wow, like we have computer hackers. You're like a ground hacker. You've hacked the earth. You've hacked nature, you know? And he started laughing and all of a sudden the Holy Spirit spoke to me and he said, we're coming into a net big crisis of cybersecurity and we're going to see lights off in major cities around the world. We're just going to see a blackout attack. And the people that are going to survive are going to be the people who understand agrarian cultures, farming cultures, land culture. You know, everybody else is going to panic because supermarkets are going to shut down because trucks can't drive because there's no lights, there's no electricity, there's no petrol. But the people who understand the time and the season we're stepping into are still going to build their own self-sustaining economies Mm. that it's really not going to affect them what's happening around the world because they've already developed in themselves the ability. And that's why Goshen is so important. Goshen was a a self-sustaining economy in the midst of a failing economy. Goshen was Mm. thriving, property market thriving, farming thriving, everything thrived in Goshen whilst everything else failed in Egypt. Hey, I'm just going to say it. Anybody listening right now, you need to go right now to seanandchristasmith.com. Get your registration. We've got a discount of you bringing in more than 10 people, but man, you do not want to miss it. Tell me, bro, you just got back from Hungary. You, man, have jumped on this podcast and dropped such a revelation, man. We so appreciate you. We can't wait to see you in January, man. Thanks so much for jumping on Keep It 100. Much love to you. Give our love to Tamar, man, and the fam. We we adore you guys, bro. Thank you. Love you too. Thanks for having me. All right, bro. Blessing. Oh my gosh. I don't even know how you get I revelation know, like that. That's I know. Not even fair. I always feel like I have to go get on my face every time I hear Tommy. The man is profound and truly walks in supernatural revelation. And I love the fact that not only does he walk in deep revelation, you heard, know that, but last year in his session, he laid hands on everybody in yes. the building. Yes. Oh. I just want you to know this isn't just a conference where you're going to come take notes. That's right. This is a conference where you're going to receive an impartation right. and a marking. That's right. And Personal counsel. This guy comes and and I'm going to tell you, I'll just, I'll just, just keep it 100. Uh, I don't think you could probably count on your hands how many people were left standing at the end of Tommy's session when he was laying hands on the glory of the Lord. So he's bringing that crusade. Anybody knows that kind of talk? Like he's been in Africa and other continents uh, that he's had massive numbers of people that have come together in the thousands and even tens of thousands. And so he understands that authority and that anointing. Uh, And so you just want to get there and be a part of it. I I tell you what, it's so true. Uh, We have so many testimonies from last year from pastors who were really at the end of their line. They were like, we're, they're done. We're going to quit. We're going to walk away from pastoring. They were burned out. They were in that session. They got hands laid on them and literally they got revived and revival then broke out at their churches. I mean, we're talking, you know, uh, immeasurable because it's been so incredible. Um, you know, just significant outpouring and encounter for people that came to that time. Yes, it was powerful. And we believe that God who gave us that level is going to cause a new level of grace, new level of outpouring to come January 18th through 20. So sign up and be a part of that. Thanks so much for tuning into the Fit 100 podcast. Make sure to rate, review, and refer us to your friends. And be sure to click that subscribe button so that you're alerted as soon as new episodes drop. Help us get the word out. Share this link on your social media platforms and check us out at seanchristasmith.com. You can also find us on Facebook at Sean and Krista Smith Ministries. We would love to hear from you on how this podcast has impacted you. So be sure to show us some love. Hey, Keep It 100 Tribe, get ready on our next episode to come back at you, Krista and I on Keep It 100. And remember, relief may change your circumstance, but a revelation will change you. We hope you enjoyed today's episode of the Keep It 100 podcast with Sean and Krista Smith. Keep up with us on Facebook and Instagram and seanandkristasmith.com where you can discover more resources. If this podcast has impacted you, please subscribe and review wherever you listen to your podcast. Keep it 100!